Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Network. Right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Memorial Day, had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend, had a wonderful weekend, and is looking forward to the week ahead. Just a short episode today as everyone's probably celebrating the day, barbecuing, doing whatever they can, even during these times of a pandemic. A lot of reviews that I'm going to be getting into. I'm going to be talking about the new The Five Bloods poster that came out, as well as talking about The Lovebirds and a little bit more. But the first review recap that I want to get into is from a galaxy far, far away, and that is with Disney Gallery's Star Wars The Mandalorian, the documentary going inside the making of this pop cultural phenomenon that was the first season of The Mandalorian that came out last year and has a second season coming out in the fall of this year. And the beginning of this show, really looking at the the last few episodes that have come out, was kind of more on a rocky start. The last episode that came out with the cast was really good and kind of started to hone in on the making of this show and talking about the cast and the process of what they went into and the the complexities of how to work on a show like this. But the episode that came out this past Friday, which is titled Technology, was truly the best of this show so far and really is what I, at least for me, what I was expecting going into this show and going to the process of making, making the show and having John Favreau there and knowing the kind of tech whiz that he is and wanting to push the boundaries of what it means to shoot in studio spaces and shoot in virtual worlds without having a lot of blue and green screen. And this episode really kind of packed in the biggest punch of showcasing that in which really it talked about his process and the process of the the directors and of Industrial Light and Magic and Lucasfilm in creating this incredible virtual world that became the production set of The Mandalorian. And really the majority of this episode talks about that production set, which is called The Volume, which is basically a spherical set, set and it basically is consisted from top to bottom of LED television screens and basically replaces the utilage of green screen technology that we saw, especially in the prequel trilogy from George Lucas, where everything that that had a virtual background or something that didn't really have anything there other than maybe some actual prop sets that were in the studio was actually showcased on the screen. So basically they use gaming technology, like basically what they used in the Lion King and the Jungle Book, which to hook this episode, they talk about in the very beginning with John Favreau and he talks about kind of pushing the edge with ILM and working with ILM with Iron Man, the first film in 2008, and then working with Industrial Light and Magic and people that worked on the Star Wars films for the Jungle Book and for the Lion King, which for the Jungle Book, it was really just one person that was real, the actor who played Mowgli, and everything else was blue-screened in the studio, and they made it look like an actual world they filmed in, like they actually filmed in the jungle. And then with The Lion King, it actually seemed like they were able to make lions and all these other animals act in the in the Sahara, in the savannah. And it looked beautiful. Despite some of the th- problems that are with that movie, one thing you can't deny with The Lion King is the fact of how gorgeous it looked and how realistic it really seemed to be. And the same thing goes for here where they really did push the boundary with making The Mandalorian and that technology that they utilized in the very beginning in that hook scene where it basically says, okay, this is the tone that we're going for and really the focus that we're going for with this episode of the show. They basically describe 
how the top and basically everything around them was a virtual background. So in and they talk about how everything in the foreground was practical sets. So for episode two, for example, and they really harken back to that second episode, which was directed by Rick Fumiua, where Mando is trying to go back to his ship and the Jawas are there and they take a part of shipping has to go find them and tackle this big monster. In the background, it is basically all these sand tops that are there. But instead of that actually looking like they shot in some kind of desert, that was all virtual background and everything in the foreground was actual practical sets. And they had a part of the the Jawau junket truck that they use was actually practical with the sand that was practical with the background being sand that was virtual. And they also talked about how whenever they shot the Mandalorian ship, they would have the the bottom part of it was actually practical. And then whenever they needed to shoot something within that within the sphere or the volume, it was on top, it was more LED screen. So basically the LED screen on top would project the engines of Mando's ship as the bottom part was actually practical. And it looked so realistic that it felt like you were actually a part of Star Wars. And when they go to some shots, when they're flying in space, you just from seeing the behind the scenes shots, you feel like you're in space. And, and I know I can speak for myself and I'm sure there are plenty of others out there that would kill to go to that kind of set and experience that and not even just work on it, but not even to just really direct it, but just to kind of just be on that set must be something amazing and one of a kind. And it really kind of talks about the, the, the approach that John Favreau is making and why he really is a technologically advanced creator and he's really kind of pushing the notion pushing the way that productions are utilized and how producers and directors and other artists that are a part of a set and actors feel when they're around the world and Pedro Pascal Carl Weathers and Gina Carano talk about when they are shooting there they actually feel like they're a part of that and 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 Carl Weathers talks about when he's moving around and he sees the lava, he feels like if he falls in, he'll fall into lava. So for the actors, it gives them that actual perspective of it's the the one thing with the prequels that really was a a a big negative was that the actors felt very stoic because they were shooting on blue screens and green screens. And there was you could see in the behind the scenes of the Mandalorian, they definitely used some green screen and some blue screen, but some green screen in the background, but the actors on the prequel trilogy didn't really have anything to work with. When George was really directing them, they, they, it would be, okay, this is going to be placed here. There's going to be something over here that's going to be coming at you and pretend it's really there. On The Mandalorian, when Carl was talking about falling into the lava, they see everything around them. So when when someone like Dave Filoni, John Favreau, Rick Famuyu, or Bryce Dallas Howard are saying, okay, this is coming at you, but it's coming at this angle as well, they actually can see what is going on. So they can, in their mind, say, this is what's happening. This is the way that I would need to react. So it gives the actors a better position of what they're really working with instead of really what was a negative of that prequel trilogy was, even though Ewan McGregor and some of these actors did the best that they could, you could definitely see that they didn't know what was around them. Whereas with with the, the volume, what... Favreau has been able to create is something where the, the actors can actually see what they're doing. The same thing with, again, a lot of people that are the, the directors or the artists that are creating the actual practical imagery that we're seeing in the 
the show. And they also talk about this world, well, not not world, but word called parallax. And the definition of parallax is it's the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. Example, through the viewfinder and the lens of a camera. And so basically they talked about where if, say if you're filming something, the, the screens themselves would change projections of where the actors and the cameras would move. So if it needed to be a, a specific mountain or a specific sun, sunrise or sundown, it basically would switch slides and switch different ways so that it would show that perspective for the actors and for the camera so the audience can see that as well. And one example is really when they're moving, again, moving down that last episode through that sewer where the lava is, Basically, the when they're moving towards the end of that tunnel, the the foreground becomes bigger when they were from the position that they were. The background is getting smaller and smaller. And Carl Weathers, and I think Gina Carano says that as well, that they noticed that. And it was kind of mind-blowing for them to see that actually happen. So I think overall with this episode, it did a, a great job of really going into the production of The Mandalorian and how it, it kind of pushed the bounds of technology and using these these sets even though you're not on location you're actually you feel like you're on you're on location when you're actually dealing with this and it really kind of combines gaming engines if you're playing video games if you're working in virtual reality with the combination of of film and of sets and productions and that's the beauty about art is art is subjective but also art is interconnected in one way or another and we're seeing it now more than ever where video games television movies are all intersecting with one another and technology that is from one field is combining with another and it, it looks flawless it again going to that second episode it actually felt like they shot in the desert in some way or that it was great green screening and again they used some green screen but not all of it was that it was really that kind of that that those led that LED set that they used. And again, Favreau throughout this whole thing really has reminded me of the, the first few episodes really kind of went into Dave Filoni being the person that should be handed the reins of star Wars. I think from the knowledge of what George Lucas knows with the world of star Wars, but I think when it comes to the technological ways and, and Filoni's like that as well, you see some of the animation, it's breathtaking, but when it comes to being this new advanced, thinker of the way that we kind of do productions kind of like what George did with the prequel trilogies but especially with the original trilogy with the with a new hope and empire strikes back specifically it's it was a new way of filmmaking that nobody really thought about it and were looking at doing for years and years to come and that's what John Favreau is doing right now where I think what he does is doing now with Lion King Jungle Book and the Mandalorian will be studied and look at for how we can advance that to be one of the new ways that productions are utilized. And it takes an exorbitant amount of money. And they talk about how Kathleen Kennedy is really well-versed in this and being able to, even though some of the things that we can criticize her for, she definitely is on board for a lot of these new ideas and being there to be able to, to hand out that money and be able to kind of produce it and budget okay this is what we're gonna need and, and they talk about that in the episode so i just think this is the best episode they produced overall so far in the disney gallery and it makes me excited for what we're gonna get next talking about baby yoda there's gonna be an episode about going back to those roots of animatronics and specifically with baby yoda 
and how they were able to utilize him and the phenomenon that he became. So I'm excited to see that, and it seems like we're kind of hitting that stride now in the middle of a, of a season of television where even though this is a documentary, they're telling it in different stories. We're getting into the full-on making of this television show, and I'm excited to see what the next few weeks hold in store with the back half of the eight episodes that are to come. So if you guys have seen this episode of The Mandalorian, what did you think about it? Let me know what you think about this fourth episode of Disney Gallery, Star Wars Episode Four of The Mandalorian documentary moving on now to some reviews for this past weekend that i saw the first one that was the biggest for this memorial day weekend was the netflix film that was supposed to hit theaters but because of the coronavirus struck a deal with netflix and premiered this weekend and that is the lovebird it's it is directed by michael showalter and it stars the incredible comedians of Issa ray and kumail nanjiani along with anna kemp and this is a film that had similarities of Date Night with Steve Carell and Tina Fey, and it was more of a... It had two great comedians kind of just going on this crazy action comedy role. And from the trailers that I remember seeing this movie, the trailers for it, just in the the first two months of 2020 alone, multiple times, and, and it got me interested in seeing this film. Again, I love these two comedians with Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani there. Their comedy is witty, it's humorous, it's smart, and so I was looking forward to it, and what I got was exactly what, if I went to the movie theaters, exactly what I would have been paid to go see, and that is a fun, enjoyable, funny ride that is that involves these two comedians. The chemistry between Issa Rain and Kumel is top-notch. They really kind of riff off each other really well, and Kumel kind of goes on these ad-libs when he does his scenes, and I think Issa Rae does a great job in in adapting to that and vice versa as well. They have some witty banter with one another throughout that is pretty funny and you get the outlandish comedy that you saw in the trailers. And the one thing that you're you're always worried about with any movie, but specifically with comedies, is that you're worried that the trailer shows the best comedy bits to, to really gravitate audiences to see the movie. And I've been bitten by, by that bug many times and I know friends of mine have been as well. But this one didn't – it showed some funny scenes, but not all the funny scenes. There are definitely some – not really twists per se, but some funny bits that are uh, are introduced in the beginning of the film that get reintroduced and kind of closed in on in the back half of the film that I thought were really smart and funny. And the chemistry is great. The, the one thing that is a negative about this film, and I wasn't surprised about it, was the plot. Uh, when you come to these, uh, to these movies – it's really the plot that might just kind of be a little muddied and it doesn't really connect that well, but it's worked on and it's improved by the the comedic chemistry between its leads and that's exactly what happens with this movie. The plot is kind of, it's it's not ridiculous in a way, but it's just, it doesn't really tie well together. It doesn't really make a lot of sense and it kind of feels a little underwhelming by the very end where I'm like, oh, okay, I, I guess that's all that the, the the mystery plot was really kind of going for. But along the way, you get some great gags that kind of make you forget about the overall plot that's really going on. And there are some moments along with it that kind of do a little funny twist to it that I think are really interesting. So I think this is a fun film to see at home. The, but the one thing that I will say that kind of made me, kind of hit home with me with this film a little bit more than I think anything else that I've seen during this quarantine, during these shelters and places, during coronavirus, is the fact how much I, I think I do miss the movie theater a little bit. And 
again, because I saw this trailer so many times in the theaters and the fact that I knew it was supposed to premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival in March and was supposed to be released in the first weekend of April kind of made me miss that theatrical experience in a way. And this is a, a film where, whether it's in theatrical or even in at home, I think people will enjoy it no matter what. But just knowing that this was made for the theater, it felt a little bit off, but that's not really... I can't really associate that with the film itself. I can just associate that with the times that we're unfortunately really living in. And so I just think it made me hit home. It hit home for me a little bit more this time about how much the next few months are going to be with, with these theaters. And I think even seeing something like an Artemis Fowl or King of Staten Island, it'll hit home for me a little bit that some of them might not be good. Artemis Fowl might not be good, but it'll make me still wish that I wish I saw this film in the theaters. And that's what I felt with this movie a little bit, even though I would give it a B and a 6 out of 10 stars. This was a, a fun comedy to just enjoy on this Memorial Day weekend. And especially in these times we live in, it gives you that escape, that true escape that, again, I wish I, wish I saw in theaters. But if you're looking for this past weekend or these next few weekends to come as we get into the summer months, if you're looking for something to just kind of turn your brain off to enjoy with more adult families that might be teenagers at that sense that parents may feel comfortable watching it with them then I think you'll enjoy it with them and you'll have fun with this and and just have a fun time and I think that's exactly what the lovebirds bring onto Netflix six out of ten a B let me know what you guys think about the lovebirds I'll have a Twitter poll out at the time of this recording did you enjoy the lovebirds if you have seen it are you going to see it or did you not like it if you did see it let me know what you think about it. Put it in the Twitter poll. And let me know what you think about it down below in the comments of the Twitter poll. Let me know your thoughts about it below. A few more reviews that I want to get into. And the first one is, or another one, not really first one, but another one that I want to get to is from the ESPN world, 30 for 30. And with the last dance done and over with, the phenomenon that was that kind of cultural sports zeitgeist that, we, that sports fans and really people in general really kind of craving for that they could look forward to at the end of every weekend was gone at that point with the last dance. But ESPN is churning out more documentaries over the next few weeks. And the first one that they're starting to do with is a two-part documentary on Lance Armstrong. And the first part premiered last night. And again, I'm not somebody that I know who Lance Armstrong is. I know what has happened to him, the downfall, but I didn't really know a lot about his career and really cycling. And I think what this documentary did really well was talk about the character of Lance Armstrong, who he was, how he came to be, his fight with cancer, and how he kind of rose up and became this big story of the of the world, really, with the Tour de France. And I liked how the documentary talked about cycling a little bit and introduced us for people because I know I was watching my dad and brother who I watched the last dance dance with over the last five weeks and we're trying to keep up this tradition of doing the 30 for 30s and doing something on Sunday nights where at least I know for myself and and I think for them they didn't really know a lot about the Tour de France and cycling and so they kind of gave a little backstory about it as it connected to Lance Armstrong and the beginning was a little bit rocky I think it was they kind of just threw you into it, and then they started talking about the life of Lance Armstrong. And usually when it comes to these documentaries, it's really the beginning where you learn a little bit about the person's life and where he came from. But it's really when you want to learn about his career of why he did what he did. And they talk about him using EPO and performance-enhancing drugs that it really started to get into some really interesting territory. And by the middle and end of this first part, I was really hooked in and, and 
am excited about where this documentary is going to end because now we're getting into the peak of his career and then, of course, the eventual downfall of, of what he would do in lying about taking PEDs and then admitting on Oprah Winfrey that he did take them and being stripped of all of his titles. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that second part and looking forward to these 30 for 30s that are coming out in the next few weeks. The Bruce Lee B. Water one is coming out. That one I'm really looking forward to as that is kind of a mixture of mixed martial arts meets movies and, and kind of the the mythological being of who Bruce Lee was and then the long the long gone summer with the with Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire and the home run competition that happened in that season. So this is just kind of a beginning of, of a great epilogue of documentaries that we're getting after the global main event that was The Last Dance. So a nice a rocky start but a strong finish to this first part. It makes me look forward to that last part of Lance when we get it next Sunday. Moving on to my last review that I want to talk about today, and that is for the brand new Spark short from Pixar that is out on Disney Plus right now. It is called Out. It was written directed by Stephen Hunter, and it's a really cute, heartwarming story about a, a young man who is gay, and he is moving out of his house and moving into his with his significant other. But his parents don't know about it, and so his parents surprise him, and they come in, and he hasn't told them about his about who he is yet, and so it's really about how does he feel about telling them, and, and really the dilemma that he's going through, and they, they kind of have a, a cute twist that happens with it that makes it fun for kids, but really kind of do exactly what Pixar shorts and Pixar films do, where they tell, they have some good laughs, but they tell a heartwarming story, and for nine minutes, that is exactly what this did. The animation is gorgeous and different. I love kind of the 2D animation that was associated with this. And it just looks gorgeous and very lovely. And if you're looking just for a, just a few minutes of just, if you have a few minutes to watch this on Disney+, Plus, if you have Disney+, Plus, definitely something to check out. It's got some heartwarming emotion, some great lessons to learn about being who you are and being accepted and Nobody can accept you more than your parents, no matter what. And I think that's a, a very strong message, especially during these time periods to do. And if you're also a dog lover, you'll love this this little Pixar short as well. There's some cool twists that they do with the dog. So yeah, definitely check this one out when you have a chance. I really did enjoy it. Nine minutes long. You'll be in and out, and I think you'll have some fun with it and enjoy it as well. Out is now on Disney+, Plus. if you want to check it out. The latest in the Spark Shorts Pixar Collection that have been coming out from Disney Plus for a while. And moving on to really the only movie news that I saw today. There's some stuff that probably will be coming up by the time I'm recording this that I'll have ready to go for tomorrow. But because of Memorial Day weekend, uh, usually the movie news is a little bit slower on, on Memorial Day. But over the next few days, I'm sure it'll be ramping up. But the only news that is really out there that is really in celebration of Memorial Day weekend is the new poster for The Five Bloods, which Spike Lee and Netflix put out commemorating and honoring the veterans of Memorial Day. And it is it is a gorgeous-looking poster that falls right in line with other incredible Mondo posters that Spike Lee, have, Spike Lee films have been putting out. And it's, it's directed by Spike Lee, and he was one of the writers on it as well, like he was on his last film and many other films that he's done. And it stars Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, Paul Walter Hauser, and Chadwick Boseman. And I talked about the trailer last week and how I loved the, the telling of this film through different timelines. We have the present day and then going back to the Vietnam days with this African-American soldier group that was fighting the Vietnam War when... America is really fighting the African-American community, and I think it's 
right up Spike Lee's alley about telling this film the way he wants to tell it and how it really kind of grows into those racial integrations with the military and really kind of about asking yourself like who are your loyalties with and so I find that really interesting and having the different colors and aspect ratios changed up where it's more of a 4-3 than it is 16 by 9 in than the present day to the to the past so that makes me really excited and, and really kind of shows the creative control that Netflix is willing willing to give to filmmakers that you saw it obviously with the uh, the Irishman and you saw it with Marriage Story where Mario Scorsese and Noah Baumbach were able to make the films they wanted to make and obviously Spike Lee is being given all the creative freedom that you could possibly give him with this. And I was talking to my friend about this a few hours ago in which we were we were asking ourselves, well, especially he was asking, well, how come they didn't release this today on Memorial Day where it's about Vietnam veterans and you're remembering every single soldier. It's not just Caucasians. It's both white, African-American, Chinese, Latino, everyone who served in the military during so many grueling wars that gave their lives for this country. Why wouldn't you put it on Memorial Day? But, and, and and I can definitely see that and I can understand, well, you definitely could capitalize it, especially with no films coming out. But I think, A, by the time Netflix had this release date, they were already kind of had June 12th on their mind. And on this weekend, it was supposed to be Fast 9 and a few other films that were supposed to come out. So it would have kind of been left in the dust, really, per se, of bigger films that were coming out that weekend. And I think it also gives something for us to look forward to in June. I know a lot of friends of mine that are Spike Lee fans and, and love Spike Lee and the films that he makes and are excited about this new film that he's putting out. So I think it gives them something to look forward to in the next month where theaters are probably still going to be closed and in the next few weeks might start to ramp up for a potential July date. But And that's another subject for another time. But for, for June, it gives at least for me and I think for other people, something to look forward to and to be excited about on June 12th, that if you put it out now, you have a few things to look forward to in June, but I think when it comes to the film slate, you have King of Staten Island, but that's on VOD. People, Families might be going for Disney Plus with Artemis Fowl, but a lot of people have Netflix, and people are going to want to see Spike Lee's brand new film, and they'll probably be promoting in the next few weeks, and it just makes sense to have something to look forward to in the summertime, and people can commemorate with the Five Bloods. It comes out again on June 12th. What did you guys think about the poster for the Five Bloods? Let me know what you think about it down below, and leave your thoughts. And the final thing I want to talk about today, guys, is an anniversary date, and again, we honor Memorial Day by honoring the veterans that fought in every single war, and the, and the people that gave their lives for this country, and it's also an anniversary for two films that came out on this day, both in the same franchise, but one a more significant film than all due respect to the other one, and it's an anniversary in a galaxy far, far away, ending this podcast with the galaxy, and that is the anniversary for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and Solo, A Star Wars Story. On this date, Star Wars, which was the only title for that film before any of the episodics kicked into gear, it was just titled Star Wars. It came out in, 19, in 1977 on this date, and Solo also came out on this date on in June, or excuse me, in May of 2018. And with Solo, A Star Wars Story, it was a fun sci-fi film western to watch it wasn't it had some semblances of a star wars but not a whole lot but it was still i think a fun summer blockbuster to go see alden Ehrenreich did his job he did he did what he was supposed to do and 
had some connections, but not a whole lot. So Solo, it's it's something just to commemorate. But the bigger commemoration is, of course, the one that started it all, Star Wars, aka Episode Four, A New Hope. And this is a film that changed film. It changed pop culture. It became something of a phenomenon that, at the time of its release, wasn't released in in thousands and thousands of theaters. It was released in 19 theaters. It was a limited indie release that the creators, Lucas and the people working on it, they didn't think they would be making the films that they're making now. And it really kind of changed the game with with revolutionizing the way that we see space and the way that films are made with special effects and miniaturized features and 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 actual physical sets and 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 practical effects and so i just think that what lucas was able to do with star wars is change the game forever and there's books and articles written about star wars that to this day is still cemented in cultural lore forever and ever i mean you look at the force awakens and this entire new era of star wars that there's multiple generations that are coming up with this icon that'll make it relevant for the rest of time, really, and that Star Wars will never go away, and it all started in theaters, 19 theaters, on May 25th, 1977, and it'll never go away, and it started really something that started these connected universes, and that there was more lore than just the movies, with comics, and television shows, and books, and lunch pails, and it really kind of started something revolutionizing the way that we look at marketability for movies and marketing pop culture and really giving us something for kids to look forward to with the empire strikes back where i think that one really kind of gave us the formula of star wars whereas star wars the first film really was just a zeitgeist that people were just not expecting and even the people that worked on it didn't really expect the film to do all that well but it turned into something that is still relevant today many, many years later, and it all started on this date in 1977. What do you guys think about the anniversary for Star Wars A New Hope, and even Solo Star Wars Story? When was the first time you saw Star Wars A New A New Hope, and do you think Star Wars will move on for the end of time? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section, and leave your thoughts below. But guys, that's going to do it for this special edition of the Sampasel Podcast on this Memorial Day weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Network. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet's pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Gold Driven Professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out our brand new show that is on the Ambiguous Network, The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can check them out on the website, ambiguousproduction.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you're all done following the Ambiguous Network on their social media accounts, make sure to check me out on social media when you have a chance on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Everyone, thank you so much again for tuning into this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Have a wonderful rest of your Memorial Day. And until next time, keep on screening.